Uh, we are wrapping up our series this morning. This is, this is the end of the love-hate series. Thanks, Emily. Um, and so uh, next week we'll be moving toward, it won't be quite the beginning of Advent, but it will be moving toward our Christmas season, our Advent season. So we're wrapping it up this morning. So this is the last week that I will, I will um, be turning on my clicker. Dealing with this verse, uh, I really have loved this verse, and you've seen a lot of it, it more than a few times. Hopefully it's begun to stick in your mind. Um, really, this verse applies to this ser- sermon series. At the end of the matter, we've said all that's to, that I can say, um, and you've heard it all. Uh, so here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this is the whole duty of man. Because God will bring into judgment every deed, everything, every work, every thought, every emotion, every action. Every secret thing, whether good or evil. Which leads us into our verse that we've been focusing on, this little section, little pericope that we've been focusing on. And we've talked about all these different elements, the haughty eyes, the, the pride of life. We've talked about the lying tongue, the dishonesty that God despises, the hands that shed innocent blood, the, the heart or the, the will, the mind, the inner place that is the decision-making part of our being that devises wicked plans, the feet that rush off to make those wicked plans happen. And here we focus on these last two elements this morning, a false witness that breathes out lies and one who sows discord among uh, among the brothers or among the family or among the church. We could apply it that way as well. Now here, it might seem as though he's uh, reduplicating what he said above. Uh, but this is kind of a generic, God despises it, God hates it when we are dishonest people, when we're false, when we're fake, when we're hypocrites. Here it gets a little more specific in that the breath, the breathing out is designed, or the lies that God particularly hates and hones in on here are lies, words, gossip, whatever you want to use there, that is intended to harm or impugn another person. Then the second thing here is kind of very similar to this in that it's one who sows discord, one who brings about discord. Now I have to complain just a touch about the word sows here because if you notice, what is the common metaphor that's being used through all of this? It's the operation of the body, right? And we are embodied people and God hates the eyes, the tongue, the hands, the heart, the feet, the breath that is busy about wickedness. And then all of a sudden we jump into what? Agriculture? What's happening here? Well, for, for somebody in the ancient world, to sow, this is a Hebrew word uh, that also means to cast or to throw. Uh, and so if you were sowing seed, you would cast your seed out, you'd throw it out um, into, the, you know, into the ground, into the area. And so here it's this idea of casting out. And so they use the word sow to get at it. But I like the word to throw better. I like that. So the one who throws discord. So you can kind of see these, this, this parallel between these two things here. What's the false witness doing? They're breathing. They're whispering. They're quietly spreading gossip and things like that. And this is the person who is shouting insults. Casting, throwing discord into the mix. And so that maintains the idea of the body throughout this whole thing. And so if we were to put it into the pattern that we've been talking about, what does God love, what does God hate? God hates it when we whisper gossip and when we shout insults. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? 
You might remember that uh, back in the Ten Commandments, God has specifically in that kind of core little area that begins the, the, to, to birth off the rest of the, the law as God gives it to the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. It says that it is a crime for them to bear false testimony, to say things that are, are false about other people. And we talked about how, when we were talking about the lying tongue, the dishonesty of the lying tongue, that God despises falsehood. And he despises falsehood because God is a God of order and a God of truth. Jesus is called the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the spirit that indwells us is called the spirit of truth. So much so that we could bring these into application of our own lives and say, what should the Christian be? The Christian should be possessed, literally possessed by truth. We've been bought by it. We've been possessed by it. And this is why I think God specifically hates these kinds of things. He hates the, the gossiping, the whispering, the backbiting, the, the sort of the little stories that we tell that are still kind of true but make us look better than we actually are and make other people look worse than they actually are. You ever done that? Silence in the room. We all do that, right? We always tell the story in such a way that we're the victims and somebody else is the perpetrator, somebody else is the one who's committing the crime. The reason I think God hates this is because God is a God also of love. He's a God of of unity. He's a God who wants to see his people dwelling in peace because it is only when we are dwelling in peace that we could possibly preach peace to the world. If your family is fractured, what do you have to say about peace? If you're constantly nipping and biting at one another, I, here's a verse. I shared it probably um, every other sermon, but I'm going to do it again because I love this verse. This is a perfect verse. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I've been in ministry for, uh, I couldn't remember how old I am earlier this morning. Is it 36 or 35. 35, okay, good. I am younger than I thought. I was like, it's freaking out for a second. I lost a year somewhere. Good. Uh, so I've been in ministry now for 15 years, and I have watched dozens of marriages fall apart. I've watched dozens of children walk away from the faith, walk away from their family. Almost always it's because of this. The death of a thousand tiny cuts, nip, nip, bite, bite. If I could give you one piece of marriage advice that you would take, and many of you have been married longer than me, so you can sort of laugh it off or shrug it off, but I take it from the scriptures, and so I think it's true. Do not be a fault finder. Your spouse does not need you to find all their faults. In fact, I think this is what Paul is after when he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Your children don't need to know all their faults. People at school will will tell them and inform them critically and often. What they need is somebody who is on their side. Because you know what? When somebody thinks you're on their side, when they see you as somebody who is always encouraging them, propping them up, do you know what they're able to do? What you're able to do because of that? You are able to speak truth into their lives at critical moments. Moments when you can actually say, you know, listen, I don't know if you should make that choice. Or listen, I, we really need it. I really need you to change this so that our marriage can be happier. And because you have invested all of that time, all that love and all that affection, all of that encouragement, that person believes that you love them, and because they believe that you love them, they're willing to hear you. 
This is the one thing I've learned from my seven-year-old daughter is that she is already insecure. That's seven, you know? It's insane. We're snuggling with her, and I was telling the youth group this morning, uh, you know, I'm laying down with her, and she's like, man, I wish God had made me different. And I'm like, man, I think you're perfect. Like, I wouldn't change anything about you. Well, maybe a few things, but not many <laughs> things about you. You know, we are so quick to find fault in one another. And I think that that's one of the things that breaks people down. I've watched it break down churches. I've watched it break down families. I've watched it break down kids. I've watched it break down marriages. Do not bite one another because you will consume one another and you will ruin the good that God has for your life, whether it be in the church or in your family or at your business or with your friends or whatever part of your life you would apply this to. It all applies to this I think this might be why the world sees us as judgmental. You take a poll of any place in America, and what do they say the church is? It's judgmental. Why is it judgmental? Because we've spent all this time telling people how wrong they are. But you can only handle that so much before you're like, well, you know, I can't hear you anymore because everything I do is wrong. One of the things that I think people need to hear, I think one of the things that people really want is they think that people are lonely. I think people want encouragement. I think people want love. I think people want truth too, but I don't think you can have truth without love. It's grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. Grace. When people look at you, when your spouse looks at you, when your children look at you, when your coworkers look at you, do they say first grace and then truth? That's something I think that would improve deeply our lives. I want to take you to a text, and this is going to be where we'll sit for most of the day. As you know, I'll, I'll jump around a lot. I'm, I'm terrible about that, but here it is. Philippians 4. It's a wonderful little, little thing. One of the things that we think about when you think about Scripture, so often we, you know, we call it the Word of God or we call it Holy Scripture, but it's really very human. There are these moments that are like, wow, that's, that's something you would see in an email. You know, it's something that you'd see today. Um, and this is the page number, by the way, for the Pew Bible, which I'm, I'm using. So if it's easier for you to just grab one of these and open to page 982, please do that. But there's this wonderful little, this little line here in verse 2. So Paul is writing this really deep letter. If you, if you, you know, go back maybe over, over today or, or later on this week, just kind of read through. you. It's a really deep and beautiful letter. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, I entreat Judea and I entreat... Syntyche, naming two women by name. Paul just called you out by name (laughs) to agree in the Lord. What does that tell us about them? (laughs) They're not agreeing. They're fighting. They're fighting. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Somebody get up in there and help these women because they have both labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement, who is another prominent um, early church uh, uh, person, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. These women have labored in Jesus, and now they're dividing the church with their fighting. I think I've probably told this story, but it's one of my favorites, so I'm telling it again. My favorite church fight, and I've seen a lot of them, I watched the church, my home church, the church that I was baptized in, is now a dead church. It doesn't exist um, because of 
because of this stuff. I remember watching it my whole life, and the church is split, it's gone, it's dead. My favorite church fight, though, is it happened in Tennessee where um, we were replacing the flower stands. Did they tell the story? Some, okay, okay, some people don't know it. So if you know, Jared shakes his head, yeah, he's heard it. So anyway, but they didn't, so just hush. Good to see you guys, too, by the way. Happy Thanksgiving. Good. Good. Um, Church stands, right, flower stands. So uh, we had these two little corners, these two little cubbies in our church when you walked in, and they had flower stands with fake flowers on them, which, um, you know, I have no good feelings about anyway. Uh, and they had, these, they had these stands, and they replaced them with these nicer wooden stands. You know, they're all kind of really nice. And, and, uh, and there was this big fight between Linda and between Nina. Hopefully they don't listen to this. They don't. No one listens to this. Uh, over whether or not, because uh, Linda was really ticked off because her daddy bought those. Now, Linda was in her 70s, so I don't know when her daddy bought those, but it was not recently, okay? And Nina stepped up and said, I don't know what you're talking about. Your daddy did not buy those. We found those in Charlotte's basement. And Charlotte said, yeah, I remember that. And we just had a fight. I literally spent a day putting out flames over whether or not her daddy bought those flower stands i was ready to burn all the flower stands like it was but it mattered so much to them it mattered so much to them because we were dishonoring her daddy which you know i mean that if you if maybe some of you are close with your dad that would be a bad thing right i mean it it meant so much there are so many things that are happening around you in your family in in the church uh, at business in your workplace and with your family all these things that we get really honed are really important to us and it's not that they don't matter at all it's that they don't matter that much but we're willing to die on every hill to get our way and Paul says to these two, says to the church around these women, you know, get, get them to, to agree with one another because we need agreement in the church because if we're so busy fighting with one another, what possible, what possible peace could we d- display or preach about to the world that needs to hear it? In fact, I would argue that, that it's very possible that this, that this instance right here, the situation which Paul calls out by name, might have been part of the undercurrent of the whole of this letter. Because if you remember chapter 2 where that lovely, lovely hymn is written, before he breaks into, he was in the image of God and though he was you know, of the same nature as God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and all of that, he begins with this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, if you can't find yourself somewhere in there, like we got problems, Right? If you have any of these things, make my joy complete by doing what? Being of the same mind. Having agreement. Having unity. So if we applied this text, this idea of of what God hates to to what God loves, um, I would put it this way. God hates it when we whisper and gossip, when we shout insults and and bring about discord by being loud and boisterous. But God loves it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is proof positive that there is a God in that place when a diverse group of people can gather together and can live their lives in harmony. That's what marriages are so wonderful when they're, when they're long-lasting and full of love. Even after all those years, we can point people to them and say, look at what Christ has done. Look at how this is a picture of the love of God in working with us. 
Why does unity and peace matter so much to God? It's because God loves ordered relationships. We see this from the very, very beginning. The very first thing that happens with the curse is that there is a breaking of relationship. Now there's a breaking of the the man and the woman, and now there's the patriarchy that steps in as a part of that curse. And then we see what? Cain in the next chapter kills his brother and force feeds the ground his brother's blood. And then a few verses later, Lamech, Cain's son, kills two men, murders a man just for, for hurting him, for wounding him. And then what do we have in chapter 6? But all of this violence that's being poured out, that every intention and thought of the heart of man is on wickedness all the time. And there's all of this fracturing, breaking, violence and hatred that, that exists between people and just is compounded and compounded and compounded. And what do we often focus on? We so frequently focus on what God has done for us and making peace with us, and that is good news. But if that good news does not flow into your relationships with other people, it is not a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be after that. In fact, John pushes hard against this, as you probably well know, another famous verse, another famous section. It says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother. If... And by hate, let me define hate a little bit for you because at this, almost all of us can make an excuse and say, I don't hate him or her. If when the name is mentioned, a little bile comes up. Or if when you see that person in the room, you get that sneer on your face. Or maybe you're able to contain it, but you feel the sneer. You with me? You hate. Hate doesn't mean you're out there murdering them. Hate means you can't stand them. The person who hates his brother but says he loves God, he or she is a liar. Because God doesn't work like that. God is a God of love and a God of peace. If you don't love the person who comes in the room, that you can see how in the world could you love God who you cannot see, which is John's argument here. And love is not a thing that we can pursue or claim to have when we are busy fighting and arguing, holding grudges, shouting, whispering, all of these things, these things are not possible. Now, what I want to push you on to think creatively about this morning is I want to argue that you as a Christian, if you are a Christian here today, that you do not have to manufacture the peace that you have with other people. You need to realize it. Let me say that again. Peace that we have with other people is not manufactured, it's realized. It already exists. Think about it like this. We all argue, we all understand, most of, most of you know this already, but, but, but what did you do to achieve the grace of God? That I got head shaking. Nothing, there you go, good loud answers. What did you do to achieve the grace that God has given you? Nothing. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. It was a gift given to us by Jesus Christ. And we receive the gift. That's what happens. We didn't manufacture it. We didn't make it. The relationship was righted because Jesus Christ died to reconcile you to God. Make sense? Everybody with me? That's familiar territory with us. Instead, what we often do is we focus on that so much, which is wonderful and good, but we forget that this, this has bearing outside This kind of spins out. So in the same way that I did not manufacture the rightness, but rather had to realize that God has now made peace with me through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is also true of all of the people around you. 
Jesus has already broken down the dividing walls. You already have peace with all of those people. Why? Because, first of all, you've been forgiven. And what does that mean? You must be forgiving. God in Christ has forgiven you, and therefore you have no right to ever say, I won't forgive this person. In fact, Jesus at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and I talked a little bit about this in the, in the podcast, um, Jesus, the only thing he re- reiterates after he's done telling us the Lord's Prayer is this, oh, and by the way, if you don't forgive, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. You must be a person of forgiveness. So my posture to everyone who I encounter is immediately not one of suspicion, not one of doubt, not one of anger, not one of hate, but one of forgiveness. I see every person as potential forgiven brother and sister in Christ. Which means when I apply that to the Christian, there is this text from Ephesians 2, which is so lovely, so wonderful, that that Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. There was a a wall of hostility between these two. This is sort of racial groups, the Gentile or the Jews and the non-Jews. There's a wall of hostility, and Christ is the one that has broken it down. And the task of these Ephesians who are divided because some of them are Jews and some of them aren't, and the Jews think they're better than the non-Jews and the non-Jews think they're better than the Jews. Christ is the one that has broken down the wall and these two groups of people need to just realize the grace that has been accomplished and live it. There is no division between you and another Christian because Christ broke down the dividing wall. If we look at our enemies, there's the other sort of large group of people we might say, those people who are opposed to Christ or opposed to Christianity, what do we say to them? We love them. Not with a love that is a love of words, but a love of deeds. When your enemy sees you, they still see you as an enemy. Your, your cross necklace or your whatever doesn't, doesn't matter to them. They, their perspective doesn't change. But our perspective does. When we see the enemy, we see potential forgiven brother and sister in Christ because we are the people of peace. We're the people who are taking the disposition that we have been forgiven. And so we must always be forgiven, forgiving. Uh, I love this text from 2 Corinthians. It really nails it very well. We don't manufacture these things. It's something that God has done. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, all of this is from who? God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. That is, that Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, right? That's what we talked about there. We didn't make it happen. We didn't manufacture it. We didn't force God to do it. We didn't earn it, right? God does this, not counting our trespasses against us. And then what does he do? Because I have forgiven you, what are you to be? Forgiving. You take out that message, that living breathing message, not just with your words, but with everything you are. And this is sort of changing the lenses in our glasses. We need to see the world like Christians ought to see the world. We have to love the world as God loves the world, seeing in our enemies and in our friends and in everyone the potential that God sees in them, that they are redeemable, lovable, wonderful people made in the image of God And they need to realize that. And you are the only person who could possibly bring that message to them. And you only bring that message to them if you come alongside and you set aside the whispering, the gossiping, the fighting, these other things. So let's dive back into Philippians here for a second. 
So we begin in verse 2 talking about Yudia and Syntyche. There's this issue of this fighting. And, and, and what we tend to do as we're reading this text is we say, okay, well, Paul's talked to them. He's moving on to another point. No. I think this is all connected. He's got this here. I, I entreat Yudia and Syntyche. I'm asking you to agree. I'm asking the church to come up around them because they're great women of Jesus. And they need to set aside this agreement and become unified in the Lord. And then he jumps in to rejoice always. So oftentimes when, I, when, you're, when you're dealing with Philippians, people skip two and three and they jump right to four because it's such a lovely verse. I think there's even a, a kid's song. I don't remember how it goes, but you're shaking your head like, yes, there's a kid's song. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice, which is, which is Jewish doubling, right? That's how they would poetically say something. That's how they emphasize something. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because Yudia and Syntyche will have a hard time fighting with one another if they're busy what? Rejoicing. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Now, I'm not saying that your pet issue, I'm not saying that your personal grudge, I'm not saying that the thing that you're really upset about doesn't matter. I'm not saying that the thing that that you're not willing to say I'm sorry for or the thing that you're not willing to forgive for in in the marriage that you have or in the relationship that you have isn't worth fighting about. What I am asking is this, is it have any weight in light of eternity? The Lord's at hand. What's worth holding on to? The Lord's at hand. What's worth fighting about? That's a heavy issue to bring, to bring to bear to this. And can you do so in such a way that you're reasonable? I love, the word, I love that. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Because if you're going to be the person who is reasonable, you have to first be the person that we talked about at the very beginning of this whole series. You have to be the person that's humble. You have to be willing to say, maybe I'm wrong about this. Make your case. I'm, I'm interested. I want to hear. You have to be the person who's willing to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. An unreasonable person, they've, they've, they've built their wall. They know what they have to say. They know what the truth is. And when will they change? They won't. How many of you know people like that? How many of you are people like that? <laughs> Let your reasonableness be known because humility is something that allows us to look and act and be like God And allows us to live in peace. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every single thing. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Because what can Yudia and Syntyche not do. If they're busy praying to God together. Fight. Thank you. Yes. Fight. And if. So verse 7 is very important then. And if you do this. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And how many of us want that? The peace of God that passes all understanding. We want peace. I I don't care if you're a Christian or you're like a hardcore atheist today. Every single person in this room wants peace. We want peace with our children. We want peace with our, our, our spouses. We want peace with our family, our parents, our friends. We want peace with the people at work. We want peace. We want this. But it doesn't come from nowhere. It comes when we come into relationship with God, allowing him to reconcile us, and then, and only then, if we take that into the world and into our relationships, rejoicing, being reasonable, keeping our eyes on the eternal prize, giving everything to God in prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, and then, then the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, can guard our hearts and our minds. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news. So my suggestion to you this morning, if we again apply this to this love-hate pattern that we've been following, God hates it. He hates it when our relationships, whether it's in church or any other place, are marked by whispering gossip, backbiting, quiet little breaths of animosity. And he hates it when we're busy shouting and fighting and screaming and casting things, casting verbal stones at one another. But God instead loves the people who walk in unity and in peace, a people who are focused on the things that truly matter, a people who are willing to forgive as they have been forgiven, people who are willing to swallow their pride and humble themselves just as Jesus did and consider other people more important than themselves. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing harder to do than that. Can I get a witness? It's a hard word. Which is why it is not incumbent upon you to manufacture that. Because in and of ourselves, we're just Cain. But in Jesus, the spirit that empowers us, the spirit of truth, is also called the spirit of peace. Part of what we have to do is change the way we see the world. The way we observe the world. When you see people recognize God died for them. When you see your wife or your enemy in church or your child who's driving you insane or whoever it is, God died for them. I need to love them. Turning ourselves toward the practices we see right here, rejoicing, praying, being humble, will allow a new spirit of peace in ourselves and in others. And allow us to bear witness to Christ, which is part of also what we're all about, right? Sharing Jesus. As we conclude this morning, I had, I, I had planned to end with these verses. I had planned this on Mondays, usually when I kind of get this sermon wrapped, just be, beginning, sketched out, at least started. And I had planned verses 8 through 9. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end right here. And uh, it kind of ended up being a, a fortuitous text to choose because as many of you know, um, Carol passed away this week, uh, Lorraine's mother, and, uh, and so um, it's a heavy heart. That's why they're not here with us today in the funerals this afternoon at 2 in Coloma. Um, but I was, I was, I was sitting with, um, with Lorraine and Paul a few nights ago, and she was telling me this story. This is one of the last things that she had experienced with her mom. Mom asked her to read the Bible to her, so she was reading the Bible to her. and She read it. She was telling me she read a few passages out of Proverbs that didn't go well. Proverbs is a sketchy book. Like it jumps from, that it sounded bad. It's not a sketchy book. It is a book that jumps around a lot. It goes from like one, you know, like, hey, this is really nice to like, hey, don't, you know, don't have, have balanced scales and just wasn't applying very well. And so she said, you know, I jumped to this text here, this ending text in Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there is anything that is worthy of praise, set your mind to this. She said she read that, and she said, isn't that good? And her mom said, yes, read it again. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any 
excellent thing. If there's anything worthy of praise, think on these. And if you practice these, the peace of God will be with you. These are words to live and die by. These are words that God loves. These are words that can change our lives. These are words that we ought to apply to our lives. As we come to a conclusion, I uh, want to offer an invitation, especially if anybody just has need of prayer. This is kind of a holiday season kicking off. And there's a lot of baggage that we carry with our families and a lot of things that are going on. And so if you, need, if you need prayer, you need to accept Jesus. If you need anything that we can help you with, our elders will be down front to pray with you and to walk with you and to do our best to, to be by your side as you struggle with whatever it is that you're struggling with. Let's stand and sing this last song to our God and Savior.